I am honored to be up here this morning helping us walk through the Apostles' Creed uh, that Brian has introduced two weeks ago, and then last week he uh, faithfully covered through the statement that God the Father Almighty, really unpacking each of those words, using Scripture to define those and point us to the truth about who God is, right? And we're going to be continuing on that idea. Now that we talked about the who, we're going to be talking about the what, or really what has God done, right? What is that, you know? Just, just make the heaven and the earth. No big thing, right? No, it's everything. It's, it's everything that we see. It's huge. It's all-encompassing. Uh, everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Colossians 1 summarizes so well. Whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and uh, for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think we got a lot of that Colossians 1 this morning, and I'm thankful for it. It's good to remind ourselves of that. And Paul, who, who wrote those, really had the right view and admiration about who God is um, and what he has done. And so may we leave here this morning, likewise, in a reverence of God. And I don't know about you, uh, if you've ever been asked this, asked this question of, where do you feel God the most? Or where do you um, feel closest to him? I know growing up in our youth group, I felt like it was asked a lot, uh, a silly question sometimes, um, but a good question. And really the aim of the question and the answer and the response most of the times is out somewhere in nature or experiencing some natural phenomenon, right? Uh, it could be whenever you see a beautiful sunrise or a sunset uh, or you're sitting on the beach and you see the ocean waves crashing onto the shore or just the expanse of how big our ocean really is. Uh, or hiking up in a mountain, as the Sloans are doing this week. Or even, I, I like the Im- image of flying up, and you're cresting out of the clouds, and the sun is just right, and you just see peace and serenity outside your window, as far as I can see. I know for me, in the past, when I've been asked this question, it's, it's when, at, at night, looking up at the stars, uh, just seeing the immensity that God has made, and yet how small I am. Or seeing his power in a thunderstorm, um, preferably far off, or while I'm indoors. Uh, but these things, they are good for us to consider. Um, and uh, should strike a chord in our hearts, right? And our minds to reflect on who made this or who set this in motion. Um, and clearly, God has made all those things. Uh, and in light of that, we should praise him for it. So, um, this is... Uh, Romans 1.19 states as such that for what can be known about God is, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. We should recognize in those moments clearly that God has made all those things and in light of them, praise them, hands high, head low, saying, God, you are the creator and sustainer of everything and everyone Nothing happens except through you and by your will, uh, as a paraphrase from the New City Catechism. Um, But we see this throughout Scripture as well, uh, where God has just done something and we're to appraise him, or the writer and author recalls what God has done in the past. Uh, And oftentimes the the writer is there to, to call himself or God's people to praise God, as we've been doing this morning in our song and worship. Some of the Psalms' words Uh, which we read and sung this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
Yet, how often do we recognize and remember what God has done? We may look and know that God has made that or this uh, and say, huh, that's cool, or that's really pretty. Let me take a quick picture of that. Um, And then just continue to go about our business. Uh, My family was in Colorado a few years ago, uh, and there you see so many mountains and such beautiful scenery, and you can definitely tell who the tourists are and who the locals are, right? There's me almost driving off the road just looking at uh, God's grandeur and majesty and creation, and then the locals are just trying to get from point A to B um, as quick as they can or as quick as traffic will let them, really. But today I want us to be like Paul, to be like David and other psalmists, as we remember and recognize the significance our God has done in creation, and really what he is currently doing in creation, and worship him from our innermost being, all of our being. Praise him, O my soul. So this morning we will be walking through Psalm 104. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead. Uh, And I say walk, but it may be more like a light jog. As we review these six days of creation by the psalmist, and uh, I say it's a, it's a loose framework, but one definitely one worth noting. And in our series last year, in the Creation Curse Covenant, Brian and others faithfully guided us through Genesis 1 through 11 and the patriarchs of Genesis. And uh, if you happen to recall, one of our homeworks was, while reading Genesis 1, was actually read this psalm. Um, but this morning, I'm going to treat this like a lot of my teachers did growing up and call it classwork. Uh, you know, when not enough of the students didn't do the work or enough of them got it wrong, where the teacher felt like they had to stop and pause and really made sure that uh, the point was made or the lesson was learned. So here we go together, classwork. Let's read along in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Pause. Stop. Uh, this is the who, right? Uh, the subject, the noun, if you may, of the psalm. And this is like the creed where we say, I believe in, who? God the Father Almighty. Uh, And really now, why or or what did he do? Maker of heaven and earth. Uh, And here at the psalm, it's the same idea. God is the who, and we are going to see all that the he has done and continues to do. So if you're taking notes, feel free to write these simple prompts. Who made the heavens and the earth? Well, God did. God the Father Almighty is written, but we know, as we talked about last week, that we're not just talking about God the Father here, but our triune God, the Trinity, the God, the Spirit, uh, as seen in Genesis 1, and we know that Jesus was with God and is God according to John 1. And uh, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith says this pretty clearly, or says this clearly in the section about creation, where it says, in the beginning, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was pleased to create or make the world and all things in it, both visible and invisible, in a six-day period, and all very good. He did this to manifest the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. You can see how these summaries are so succinct and true and good, and in our SparkNotes day of age, it's may all we want sometimes, and we do need it, but I think we also need to spend some time in unpacking it a little bit more. Um, I'm just going to reiterate what Brian has said in the past, that these creeds and these confessions, though they are scripture-based, they are not scripture. And though they are wise, they are not the same authority as God's word. So let's continue and turning there this morning to see what God's word has to speak to us. Um, So again, so that lays out the who, verse 1. And continuing in my deep, profound pastoral knowledge, the second point is what. (laughs) What did God do? 
So we'll see that in Psalms 104, uh, the second part of verse 1 through 26. And we will see that he really has made all things. Continuing on, verse 1b, it says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Did you see it? The, the Genesis 1 verse there, where it says, And God said, Let there be light. That's right. Uh, this is day one of creation. And again, Brian did such a good job going through each of these days and going into details, what this really means, and I'm not up here to just repeat it all, um, but just note and remember that, that God didn't make the stars here. He didn't make the sun. That's later on in day four. He just made light, uh, the light emanating from his glory, from his holiness. And this is the same light that we look forward to in heaven in Revelations 21, 23, and then talking about the new Jerusalem. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. We'll finish out this paragraph in Psalms 104, verse 3 and 4. It says, He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Day two, of course, being how he has created the expanse in Genesis 1, verse 6 and 8, separating the waters below from the waters above. Um, and here in this first section, we see really God personified by these things that are frankly just a mystery to us. Uh, the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has recorded these things and these accounts in these ways to help us better grasp and be more in awe of his power and might. But there's still a mystery there. These images, uh, and many throughout this chapter, are just that, images, they're there to help us. Finite beings begin to scratch the surface of knowing who God is by what he has created. Uh, and this is that general revelation talking about in Romans 1, right? That it, it kind of struck me this week, something that may be obvious to you all this morning, but really God has made everything for his glory. Duh, right? Uh, or to say in another way, God has made all things with a purpose for us to have a knowledge or reverence for him. Right, even thinking about it in specific ways, God didn't have to make XYZ. He didn't have to make light as we just read about, but God has made light. He has made us able to see so that when we uh, see light waves that aren't absorbed by some object bouncing off and hitting our cornea and our eyeballs, translating to an image in our head, we're like, wow, that's pretty. Or it should be, wow, praise God, right? And that may be silly or a poor example, um, but really what I've been considering this week in reflection of what God has done, what he has made, is what do I see and not attribute to God or to give God the glory for? When we're looking around this world, we see so many things, from the smallest to the biggest, and we know from Scripture that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So God made everything for a purpose. That Baptist confession reminds us well that the purpose is ultimately for his own glory, displaying his power, wisdom, and goodness. And we just have to trust and believe that, as our creed says. And you may even ask, is that even all the bad things? Like the mosquitoes or this heat, it seems recently. <laughs> and I would say yes. Uh, in his morning-by-morning -morning devotional, Charles Spurgeon points out that many of the trials that he, or God, sends us are for the purpose of weaning our hearts from created things and fixing them more closely on him who created everything. 
or we can see in the Bible in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. There are so many things in this universe that point us to God as maker and creator. Let's continue reading on through the psalm and see them. This next section is going to be the beginning of day three where God created the land and the vegetation, and we'll see the land here in verses five through nine. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. Okay, a raise of hands. Who was here last week when Brian talked about uh, who God was? Who was here uh, a year ago when we talked about Genesis 1 and creation curse covenant? All right, now who was here when God laid the foundations of the earth? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no one, right? Uh, and I'm not being facetious, or uh, that, that question is biblical, right? Uh, in God's providence, he has, um, again, pointed us to his word in our Bible reading plan that we're reading through Job this week. Um, Brian, Brian and Graham, myself, would encourage you to read along with us and see in Job 38, it really starts out with Job getting what he asked for, right? An audience in front of God, uh, where the Lord, uh, in these rhetorical questions, asks him, out of a whirlwind, mind you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who determined its measurements? He goes on and on, asking these rhetorical questions. And while you read it this week, maybe you can highlight some of these various days and themes that you'll see this morning in Genesis and Psalms 104, whether it be the sun and stars, darkness and waters, or creatures big and small. And of course, the answer to many and all of those questions really is God alone. God made all, God sees all, and God sustains all. But the psalmist continues here with uh, vegetation, day three, starting in verse 10. It says, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches, and from your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. I think that last phrase summarizes this section well. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. All that God has made and done for his created things, setting up the framework of the world, the things growing, and the things roaming, all these are satisfied because God has made it so. As we recalled in Genesis, uh, the multiple days of creation, God saw what he had made, and it was good. There is nothing that God does less than perfection according to his plan, purposes, and character. We'll continue on with day three. It's a long one. Verse 14, it says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Uh, I mentioned that this was a loose framework. Uh, as you can see, these days of creation kind of blend together, but 
you can tell by these overarching images in each of these verses, um, it's not limiting to the days of creation that we see in, in Genesis. Uh, but it, oftentimes it might help us to know the value of something before its purpose, like these things. The psalmist, jumping ahead, uses creatures and man to help us see that God's wisdom and his creation and setting up these building blocks for his creation to thrive. It's a good thing. Uh, this applies in the next section as well, finishing up day three. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, and the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Again, in God's infinite wisdom and care, he has a place for each of his created things. He has set up so many ecological systems and food chains that has enabled growth, sustainment, and enjoyment for his created. In all these day three descriptions, I can't help but think of Jesus' words, like we see in Matthew 6, 25-34, where in describing uh, all these things, he simply says that God takes care of the birds in the air, the grass on the ground. How much more valuable is man, man and woman, who have been made in his own image? but more on that in a minute. Um, okay, we're halfway through, going through these days. It's long psalms. We'll, we'll see day four in verse 19, just this small snippet, where he says, He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. So much can be said about our stars and our galaxies and universe, or even our Goldilocks placement of our Earth amongst our galaxy. Um, and again, I would just go and encourage you to go listen to the Creation Curse Covenant series uh, if you want to hear more, or even James's sermon on 103. It's such good imagery for us to consider about what to consider about what God has made. I'm not up here to repeat all those things again, but I'll just simply say that our God is a God of order. For every known and even unknown law that we yet to be discovered, He has set our world and His universe in its place. I think. That is one of the apologetics for a God, right? Is the fact that we have such order, that we can predict things like the sun rise and the sun setting amongst so many things in our observable universe. Uh, but this imagery of night and day continues as it blends in with day six of creation. We're skipping a day, but we'll come back. Um, day six, of course, being when he created all the creatures on the land and drumroll, man, right? So starting at verse 20, read along, it says, You make darkness and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lion roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. There is so much, again, significance about God creating all the creatures and even more significance for him creating mankind. There is a miracle of life that we see in the creatures and with humans, so many amazing intricacies in the balance of our bodies, the way they are made, the capacity to hope, love, even empathize with others, all good gifts from God who created us. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that, you know, we're having a baby, right? And as Graham mentioned uh, earlier in our praise of worship, Psalm 139, um, I can't help but, but see it, God, even when you feel those little elbows or knees or head poking out, 
uh, knowing all that God is doing, knitting in the womb, I just have to stop and praise God for the life that is um, growing. David verbalized that well for us in Psalm 39. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I wish I just had a, a reference button again for our past series. I'll keep pushing it over and over again, encouraging you to go back and uh, hear those things, but just know that those resources are available on the website, hearing many of the implications that are there for us being created in God's image. I just have a few more things to highlight and thoughts for us this morning. Uh, man, here, or speaking really mankind, right, is special. We are made in the image of God, as Genesis 1.27 says. And again, think about that Matthew 6 passage where God cares deeply for us and will provide for us. But not just in food or shelter, but in a living water and in an eternity in a home with him in heaven. Um, what that looks like, we may never know. Uh, or may never fully know until we are with God in heaven. And I don't even think eternity is long enough for us to fully know who God is. But here on this earth, we are to respect God's creation, especially each other with love, honor, and in humility consider others more significant than ourselves, as Paul points out. Again, and God spoke and made all these things. He made us in his image. He gave Adam and Eve work, and that should echo through to this time here and now. As he says, to have dominion, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, he commands us. So just know that work was created by God, and we are to continue, as this psalm verse has said. Uh, But jumping back to day five, uh, we were going to see really all that God has done And you may, at this point, just want to praise God. And yes and amen, we should. Uh, The psalmist here in verse 24 does as well. So read there. It says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Amen, right? But he continues. Here the sea is great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. If you are not in awe of God is, of who God is yet, number one, you should be, but two, but just thinking about the sheer number of God's created is reason to praise him. Um, and I'll point out just quickly, I know it doesn't specifically say birds, but in that verse, you have made them all, I think that's the catch-all uh, for birds as well as with the fish that are seen in day five. Um, and even so, thinking about all that God has created, Some scientists think that we have only discovered roughly 15% of all species, that number only being a mere 1.6 million, leaving millions to be undiscovered and cataloged. (laughs) Granted, that is getting down to the nitty-gritty details of species and uh, characteristics of all living things, plants included, but still, that's a huge number, right? And who knows what's at the bottom of our oceans. There very well may be a leviathan lurking and playing around in there, as this describes. Uh, They say really only 5% of our ocean has been explored and charted. 5% has been seen by man. Um, Yet God knows. God knows them all. He sees them all. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. 
Is he not worthy to be praised? Um, He made it all, and it was good. It was good and perfect in the garden, but sin entered the world, right? And our hearts were made hard towards God, turning us away from him and worshiping really ourselves and even other created things. I just want to highlight for us this morning that I know I and maybe we often judge the people of the Bible for worshiping idols and other religions as seen in the Old Testament, but do we not do the same? Deuteronomy 4:19 says, And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. I'll just say we are not to worship the created things. We are to worship the creator. And I don't know what that really looks like for you this morning, but I know in my life I often put myself, my created self, above God, the creator. May that not be so. May we confess and repent, knowing that he is faithful to forgive. Um, That's it. I did that pretty quickly. Thank you. Uh, That's creation in a nutshell, right? (laughs) Six days. God created the light, the sky, the ocean, the earth, the land, our sun and stars, fish and birds, land animals, and man. If that was all God did, he would still deserve our worship. But we can thank him all the more and glorify him all the more because that isn't just what he has done. In this next section, uh, I would characterize and uh, subsection that really God has created all things and he sustains all things. As summarized in Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. But let's see that in our psalm this morning. Back in verse 27, it says, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. One little thing that may be able to help you this week as you go back and read through the Psalms uh, is see some of the tenses, you know, the past tense or current tense that our translation has, using to describe what God has done and what he continues to do in creation. And here, more specifically, how God created and God renews. We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he whose very nature is to give life will continue to. But he is a just God, and one that does all things for his glory as discussed, and that even includes death. He gives and he takes away. He breathes life and withholds it. There's an aspect of circle of life, as the Lion King puts it, and we are usually okay talking about that when it's things below the food chain, but we have to realize that our death is inevitable, right? And on this earth, and that should be one of the greatest catalysts for us to seek God and point others to him. Back in the garden, God told Adam and Eve that they were to eat of every fruit except one, the tree from the knowledge of good and evil, for then they will surely die. God knew death would enter the world. It wasn't an if question, but a when question, when they would disobey, for we too would have sinned and herald death into the world. Yet even in death, God was gracious. 
sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, lest they live in their sin forever, and the greater gift of a promised uh, Messiah, one who was to crush the head of the snake, right? From before time began, God had a plan for his created beings to be made right with him. Uh, I think often people don't really want to acknowledge that there is a God who created everything because then that implies that they would be accountable to him one day for their actions and thoughts. And if that's you this morning, not 100% sure if there is a God or if there is one, what that has to do with you, please listen and know that there really is one God, the God of our Bible. He really did make the heaven and earth. And until Jesus comes again, we will die and return to dust, as described. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has made a way for life everlasting. Verse 30 here speaks of God's spirit, God's breath, creating and renewing, and that is what is offered to you this morning. In Ephesians 1, we see Paul saying that he chose us before the foundation of the world, and only in Christ, by his blood, may we be redeemed our sins forgiven and paid for, and adoption as sons inheriting eternal life. Reading in Ephesians 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in his beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In him all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, 8, uh, as we've talked about this morning, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you leave here this morning with anything, please know that the God who created the universe has created you and offers redemptions, uh, redemption for the sin in your life through the blood of Jesus and able to create and renew a heart through Christ. And that really leads us to the last section and point this morning where we see we see who the God, the Father Almighty. We've seen the what, maker and sustainer of everything. And now we will see the why for his glory, right? Uh, as seen in Psalms 104, starting back in verse 31, it says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. God doesn't need us to worship him, for he is all-sufficient, right? All-powerful, the Almighty, in Acts 17, 24, Paul, in his address to the men of Athens, when he's talking about this unknown God, says that the God who made the world and everything in it 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man nation, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So church, in light of that, this morning, knowing that God has done all that he has done, may we meditate and rejoice in it. Um, Rejoice in the Lord because he really is the only one true God worthy of our praise. Psalms 104 is at the end of the fourth book of the Psalms uh, that began all the way back in Psalm 90 and ending in Psalm 106. Throughout what you see, the people of Israel in their wandering and constant call to God, to worship God. Psalm 90, a lament opens with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In God began time, and in him it will end, but our flesh will not. We who are like a vapor will return to the dust, as it says. Um, And then you have these last few psalms summarizing for God's people, calling them to bless the Lord in worship, right, that we sung about and read this morning. And then ending in Psalm 106, really a warning for us at the end of book four, repeating statements like Psalm 106, 6 and 7 says, both we and our fathers have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And again in 13, it says, but soon they forgot his works. Or in verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Church, my call for us this morning is to not be like that. Hear those warnings and heed them. I know how often I do not, but uh, in reflection of what God has done, may we praise him with all of our soul, with all of our innermost being. And as Psalm 104 ends with a staunch reminder that sinners will be consumed from the earth, remember that one day Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, as we'll look on later in the creed. And let that stir us up all the more to share about who God is, what he has done, and what he can do for the unbeliever, creating in them a new heart in salvation through Christ Jesus. Let's pray with me. Oh God, we praise you. Um, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We thank you that you have made heaven and earth. Uh, We thank you for just the beauty of your handiwork and praise you. Lord, may we reflect often, meditate often this afternoon, this week, not shying away from telling our friends and families as we sit down or go about all that your mighty works have done, really all that we can see around us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, um, for humbly coming down and taking on the human flesh that you created to live a perfect life that we could not live and willingly giving your life as a ransom for us, crushing the head of the serpent, um, 
your plan from before time began. We thank you for small things and big things uh, we, that can help us see your love and your provision for our lives, Lord. May we look to you, not created things for our satisfaction or hope or salvation, but to you alone, O Lord. Help us this week. Worship you, that only you are due as maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen.